So I want to, listen, I, I want to welcome you here and, and, and just let you know just, just a couple of things. And I'm, several weeks back that, that, um, that I was praying and thought, you know what, now's the time uh, just to make some announcements about what God is doing in, in our church. And, and so we looked at the church calendar and we picked December the 10th and the 11th uh, because it was an uneventful weekend. Yes, it's a weekend that every month, the second weekend of every month, we, we baptize. We knew that. But we only had one or two people scheduled, no big deal. I'd have plenty of time to lay out all the plans and, and help you understand what, what God is doing. But obviously, God wanted to be a part of this service in a dramatic way. And maybe, 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 he just wanted to remind us that church is more than buildings and facilities and future plans, but it's this issue of life change. It's just this issue of people coming to Christ. And so over the course of this weekend, we don't have a count for you. Uh, we know we're going to baptize somewhere between 28 and 30 folks. There's peop still people signing up. People are showing up for services and just asking if they can, if they can follow the Lord and believers' baptism. And so maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you're visiting with us. And this is a great weekend for you to come. And maybe you're here this morning, and as I talk about these plans of the church and how God has made a way, maybe you're here this morning because I want you to get something also personally. I'm asking God to speak to you as well. And so maybe in your life and maybe in your season of life, you're asking God to make a way for you. And it may be in an area of your health. It may be in areas of finances or marriage or relationships or future. And maybe nobody knows, but you just know that, you know what, in this area of my life, God just, God just needs to to make a way. And so I'm reminded as we, as we baptize these folks and, and thought, maybe I just need to draw attention to the, the vision statement of any church. We don't have to come up with a vision statement. God's already coming up, has already come up with a vision statement for the church. And it's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses, verses 19 through 21. And here's what the scripture says. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the ends of the age. And so there's a lot of people that look at this, this verse and say, well, the command is on the go and the command is not on the go. That, that, that's a present participle. It actually means going as you're going, as you're going into your jobs and as you're going into your communities, as you're going into your family. You heard it where, 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 where families have reached families. And so as you're going, wherever you're going, Excuse me, still fighting a little bit of a sinus infection. I am not contagious. So I, I, I've been to the doctor. I have the drugs, and I'm fine. I don't sound fine, but I'm fine. But it's as you're going. And the command isn't, isn't even on baptizing. The command is on making disciples. This issue of making of disciples. So a disciple, just so we're clear, is this person who has come to faith in Jesus Christ, who has accepted him. And then part of the discipleship process is to follow him in believer's baptism. That is the first command as a believer that once you've accepted Christ, that you follow him in believer's baptism. You're baptized, if you will, into the church. And as a result of that, you learn to open the scriptures. You learn to pray. Disciple was the most popular term of a New Testament believer in the Bible, which means learner or, or apprentice. Uh, to where you start learning the ways of Christ, to where you come to the day, to where you can begin to disciple others. And so this morning, I wanted to talk to you about some of our future plans and some of the things that God is doing. 
I told you last week when we looked at the sermon, Immeasurably Great, that um, that, that would be kind of the theology, the part one, and this weekend would be more of a of a of an more of an illustration uh, for you. And so last weekend, just to catch you up, if you haven't seen the sermon, you can go back at a YouTube channel or or a podcast or whatever or, or website, and you can view that sermon. But I gave you three points and three points, three characteristics of a believer. The first one is this: is just to live by just to live by faith. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said this: if you're going to live by faith, then expect your faith to be tested. A faith that can't be uh, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And so, Fellowship of the Rockies, I think we can say our faith can be trusted because our faith has been tested. Over 28 years here, we've come to places in our history and in our time to where God would have to make a way. And so one thing I hope you realize that this is not of man, that this is something that God is doing in a dramatic way in a people group that are just willing to trust him and just willing to follow him. See, I need to take you all the way back a little bit to the start to give you some history so you can understand what God has done over the years here. And so it was 1994 when Karen and I were, pl- were praying about coming to Pueblo, Colorado to plant a church with some other church planters. We, li- <coughs> we lived in Houston, Texas at the time. I'd driven up to, to Lake Conwell. Conroe, where we owned a, a little condo at the time. I spent the day with the Lord, and it was in Isaiah 43, 18 through 21, that God gave me a promise that would forever change my life. And he'd give me a burden that I've never been able to shake and never been able to get rid of. And in Isaiah chapter 43, 18, he says this. He says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I, and so you remember, you watch these, just the I and the my and God's responsibility, what God is going to do. And I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beast will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I will give water in the wilderness. And water was always the picture of the Holy Spirit, is always the picture of God. Rivers in the desert to give drink to what? To my chosen people, the people I have formed for myself that they may come and declare my praise, that they may come and just worship me. And it would be that verse that God would cause us just to liquidate everything. fact is, Karen's verse was out of Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you to give you hope and to give you a future and to give you peace. And out of that, we knew that somehow God was going to make a way. And out of Isaiah 43, 19 has, has focused me my entire ministry. And one more time, here's what it says. It says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Never told you this, guys, this, but it's just the way my, my brain works. And, and I have taken that verse and come out with a six-word call that is on my life. And I've used that in my ministry as a lens to make decisions about how I lead, how I preach, uh, and, and how I minister. And my six-word call is simply this, saturating dry places with spiritual restoration. And that's the gospel. Going into spiritually dry places that as you go, whether it's relationships, whether it's in the community, whether it's, whether it's, whether it's where you work or schools or things like that, to where you understand that we have the ability as believers to bring spiritual restoration to spiritually dry and spiritually barren places. But when you look at this, when you look at this text, you realize that God is, 
God has given us our responsibility and then his responsibility. And so he said in there that if you will do this, I will make a way. And I have trusted God with that one statement. See, there's a lot of times the reason that people in, in faith and walking in faith, there's a reason that a lot of people get discouraged or pull back or, 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 or walk away is because of this issue of faith. It's the issue of faith to where all of a sudden you come to this place and, 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 and you focus on the how. You focus on how is God going to make a way. Listen, let me tell you something. The how is God's job. The how is not our job. In faith, whenever you and I focus on the how, that it will discourage us because the, the, the obstacle can be so large, right? The obstacle can be so large, we can come places where there's no way God can do that. Or we can focus on the how to the extent to where we become a dictator to God and we're just going to tell God how to do that. Here's what I've learned. God has immeasurably more resources than we can ever imagine to make a way in your life, in the life of this church, the life of your family. So here's what I've realized. We focus on what? We focus on the why. Why are we to do this? And then what are we going to do? Walk in obedience and then allow God to be the one. Just allow God to make a way and trust him. Just trust him with that. And so in 1995, we came and with, with Dr. Kurt Dodd, our founding pastor, and Dale Schmidt, and Paul Radden, and then the Joneses, and we came, and we planted, we planted Fellowship of the Rockies, and then from, and some of you old-timers, uh, uh, this will bring back some memories to you, and then we'll, I'll catch you up today, so we're all tracking, and then we'll talk about today, how's that? So in 1995, we came and we planted this church. And from 1995 all the way till 2001, we moved into this facility in 2001. And we, uh, from 1995 to, to 2001, uh, this church had 27 location changes. Uh, we never had an original building. When we came, we were in rented facilities. We, we had a contract with Memorial Hall. We were going to be there every week. Uh, that contract mysteriously disappeared when we got here. And then because of that, we became like nomads. And so we were always just trying to find a place. And so we were changing locations weekly. We were changing locations every two weeks. And so it's kind of funny, but our slogan in those days were, if you can find us, you can join us. Because uh, we, never, we never knew where we were going to be. It was crazy. We just had to trust that God was going to make a way. And to make matters worse, uh, there wasn't much technology in those days. The Google had not been born yet. Uh, Al Gore hadn't invented the Internet. Uh, we, you know what? Uh, there was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. There was no social media. You know what? Fax machines was like cutting-edge technology in those days. And so you know what we had to do? We had to rely on the mail. Every Monday, we mailed out a postcard and said, this is where we're going to be. We also learned... That's how you reach really smart people. Just change locations every week. I mean, any, anybody can show up to the same place, same time every week. But it takes a smart person to realize, oh, this is where they're going to be. And so about, about 1997, we finally reached a, an agreement with CSU Pueblo. We started meeting on the campus there. Primarily, that's where we were. Then in 1999, uh, CSU Pueblo made a decision that they, they didn't want to continue our relationship. And we didn't know what we were going to do. We were out of options, but God made a way. God, God's made a way for this church the whole time. And I called a really dear friend of mine and said, we're in, we're in big trouble. I got a lot of people and not a lot of options. And he says, well, you're not going to believe this. The Southside 4 Cinema, the building that we're in now, he said, has been on the market for the last two years for $1.2 million. They've just reduced the cost to half a million. 
And if you're people of faith, you'll buy it sight unseen because there's going to be a bidding war. And I tell you, this church had the faith. We bought this building sight unseen. We bought it for $465,000. And to make matters worse, we didn't really have a building fund because we didn't really plan for this. We had about $20,000 in the building fund at the time. We signed the contract, and four weeks later, we needed to show up to closing with $100,000. You want to make, make bankers nervous? Tell them God's going to give you the down payment in four weeks. <laughs> I still remember that meeting when I sat in a meeting with a bunch of bankers, and they says, well, how much money do you have in the building fund? We go, barely 20. You're going to need $100,000 in four weeks. I know. Where are you going to get it? God. Just drop the papers, I'll see you in four weeks. And so we did, we did a little four-week, really rough giving campaign. I never will forget that Sunday we, we, we gave. And Karen and I sat outside the room where the men and the women were counting the money. And, and uh, they knew what we needed. Everybody knew what we needed. And they came out, and they started crying, and we started crying. And it was exactly 80 grand. And can I just tell you, in those days, our annual budget was $300,000 a year, which meant the church needed to raise about a third of the annual income in four weeks, and they did it. God made a, God made a, God made a way. And from 2000, we bought this building in 2000. It took us a year to renovate it. We did it with a lot of weekend warriors, and people donated an unbelievable amount of time to tear down walls and to paint and, 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 uh, and, and remodel and then from 2001 to 2013, God just blessed in an unbelievable way. And, I mean, we went to four services and baptizing people, and fire marshal is uncomfortable about how many people we're putting into this building and someone's going to get hurt and all of those other things. And, and so we knew we, needed, we knew we needed a new facility, and so we, we did. We looked all over town. And we, we couldn't find anything that we could afford. I mean, as much land as we needed, it was 4 to $5 million, and it'd be just like forever we raise, and we, we didn't feel we could do that. And then all of a sudden, this little subdivision, not little, major subdivision, 50 acres, Pueblo del Sol out there on the northern highway, um, went into foreclosures. Three developers prior to us tried to develop it. They all failed. And you know why I believe they failed? Because God has been saving this land for us for the beginning of time. And they all failed. And they failed because of some of the offset, off-site cost and bringing in sewer, and, and we'll talk about that. That's an important thing. And, and they, they, they just failed. And so the, the, the subdivision went under, and then it, it took a bank down, and Legacy Bank got the assets, and Le Legacy Bank brought the project to Fellowship the Rockies. And, and so um, in 2013, we bought that 50 acres, platted for 144 residential lots, uh, for $465,000. It was a fraction of what it was worth. A fraction. Again, we went into a little four-week giving campaign, and four weeks later, we raised $465,000. We paid cash for the subdivision. And we knew. We knew it had trouble. And we told the church, we got a $5 million gap. We got a $5 million gap. Uh, we didn't know how we were going to close that $5 million gap. We just know God would make a way. We didn't know how. And yes, it was scary. And yes, some of our moments would say, we just we don't understand how God's going to do this. And, uh, and so from 2013 to 2018, I'm sorry, from 2013 to 2015, we tried to reduce off-site off costs and to no avail. We decided to go into a giving campaign. 
We went into a three-year giving campaign, 2015 to, to 2018, and we raised $4 million. They raised $4 million. This church gave 105% of their, of, their, um, of their pledge amount. Church statistics, when a church pledges to give three years to a church, they give 80%. You guys gave 105%. 105%. And so, yeah, you can clap. It's unbelievable. And so we... We came out of the end of that, but we still had this $5 million gap. And from 2018 to 2019, again, we met with the city. We're trying to reduce off-site costs. We're trying to fix this sewer system, and we're, it, but nothing, nothing would work. Nothing would work. 2020, I took a trip. Um, 2020 took a trip to Israel, and uh, God did some unique things. You'll hear some more about that in just a little bit. As we're returning to Israel, we start hearing these rumors about this virus called COVID that's, that's, that's closing airports and some other things. We come back to Pueblo, and as we, as we come back to Pueblo, everything shuts down. And our $5 million gap got larger, and I got discouraged. I mean, all of a sudden, what was once $5 million was going to be like $8 million. How, uh, costs were, you know, construction costs were skyrocketing, labor shortages, supply chain issues, and everything else, but we just knew God's going to make a way. And so we come out of we come out of we come out of COVID. Um, we we uh, we we come out of we come out of COVID in, in twenty in twenty uh, twenty twenty two, and um, and God began to do something because of COVID. We had a developer in our church that stopped me and said, hey, listen, because of COVID, there's this ARPA money that's available. And he said, uh, it's a grant that the city has that the grant can help subdivisions and, and development. Can we, can we start talking about this with the city? And I says, absolutely. And it, it, it not only, listen, this not only helps Fellowship of the Rockies, it helps other subdivisions as, as well. And so we, we started talking, and then just long story short, and you may have seen some things in the paper. If you follow city council meetings, you know there's been some discussions there. But the, the city of Pueblo is going to use ARPA money to, to move the sewer line, to put in the sewer line from Surfwood all the way out to our subdivision and feed two other major subdivisions to the west of us, and which removes $2 million out of our budget. I mean, that's $2 million comes out of our budget. And so as a, as a result of that, all of a sudden, the gap is shrinking. Um, also, we're hearing rumors. We have not talked with them, but there's a, a retailer that's, that's making a, a bid and trying to buy the Southside Kmart that is next to us, the old Southside Kmart. And then the rumor is, is if they, if they get an agreement with them, then they're gonna, with them, then they're going to make an offer to purchase our building, which will also help bridge the gap. But the thing that's really going to bridge the gap is probably this. And um, There's a developer that is, has, has, has approached us. The sewer line is going to be in, scheduled to be in July of 2023. And there's a developer that has approached us and said, you know what, now that you're going to have sewer, now that we're able to reduce off-site costs, these 100 lots, because we need to sell off 100 lots to help pay for the church and close that gap. We, we vacated out 44 lots for the church site. And so this developer has contacted us and said they're interested in, in buying 
uh, Pueblo del Sol. Let me back up. Right before COVID, we had an offer to purchase Pueblo del Sol. We had a, we had a developer that wanted to, wanted to purchase the 100 lots, and that developer offered us $800,000, $8,000 a lot. As, as elders, we met, and we prayed about it, and we talked about it, and we decided to turn that offer down, even though it was the only offer we'd ever had on the property. But we reasoned that this doesn't help us with the gap. We got a $5 million gap. This does not help us. And so we decided to trust God. And so we said no. We said no. And then and I say that because I want you to understand what God has done. Six months ago, a developer has approached us and says they would like to buy the 100 lots. And because the sewer line is going to be put in, because the off-site costs have been reduced, they say that those lots should go anywhere between forty dollars and $80,000 each. And let me do the math for you. Uh, that's four to $8 million. We're praying for $8 million. Uh, but that's four to $8 million difference. That means the lots went from 8000 to 40000 or 8000 to 80000 whatever that number looks like. I'm telling you, God is making a way. God is making a way. God is making a way. See, our, our job... Our, listen, our job is not to worry about the how. Just the why and the what. Just stay faithful to what God has called. This is not, listen, this is not a man. Just to stay faithful to what God has called us to do. In 2022, we took a, a trip to Israel. And Jasper and, and Kelly Kinney were on that trip. They were on the trip with us in 2020 and then again in 2022. And it was there at the Sea of Galilee, I believe it was, that, that I believe and, and Jasper believes that, that God spoke to Jasper and, and impressed upon him, we need a rock from Israel. We need a rock from Israel. And it's the rock that you see out in the foyer. We'll talk about it a little bit later. And uh, that, that God, that we just need a rock from Israel. And so Jasper, uh, when he returned, worked with our, our guide in, in, in Israel, Hani, they brought this rock back, and they surprised Karen and I with it, with a little dedication service. And, and I have never been speechless in ministry, I promise you. And I, I was in shock because Jasper and Kelly had no clue that God was making a way. And this project was becoming more and more real and more and more feasible. And so I want you to see a video. It's a nine-minute video. It's a little long. Uh, but it's the story of Israel, what God has done there. Then it's the story of the rock, and then I'll make some other comments. So would you, would you watch the side screens? We first heard of Israel through Pastor Charlie, I believe, at one of the sermons. And both my wife and I felt led that we wanted to save up to try and go on the trip because we felt like it would help the Bible become more alive. My husband and I had talked about going to Israel for most of our married life. So being able to have this opportunity was something that when our friends said, hey, we have this really cool church called Fellowship and they're going to Israel. Would you guys like to go? I was actually surprised by my parents for my 16th birthday to go to Israel. And I was really excited about it. I was just really excited for the Bible to come to life. I always felt like when I went to Israel, it was like being at home. It was almost as if you were transported in time, but almost like you were in a movie set, especially when we were in the 
old city of Jerusalem because they preserved it so well. I was expecting more of kind of semi-desert, kind of barren country, and I was really surprised at how beautiful it was in that area. A very lush, uh, very fertile ground. Israel comes to life with the Bible, and the Bible comes to life with Israel. It just culminates in a beautiful experience of seeing where Jesus walked and all the stories are so alive and there's so much to see. Going to Israel was just putting all of the things that you've read about and you actually get the physical sense of being there and being where he was. Um, you get goosebumps just randomly in different places because you start knowing like, oh my goodness, we're actually here. And this is where this took place. You no longer have to think about what was the context or what was the culture like. You're immersed in it. And then when you read the scriptures in that context, it just, it does something to you. Everything makes sense. You know, I mean, you, you can see the sights, you can see what, what scripture is talking about. And it legitimizes your faith in, in a way that you know that our faith is founded on something that, that, that actually the sights and the events can actually be proven because we've been there. And it gave me a richer understanding of um, the teachings and where they, where they were given, where they were at. Um, and to see those sites help to kind of anchor in some of that information on a whole different level. It gave my faith uh, something tangible to grab onto because I know I've always wondered what it was like to really hear from God in the Old Testament. To be able to see the places that they went, where they walked, and where some of the most amazing events in history happened really gave me a, a touchstone uh, for my faith. It was mentioned to me before we went that looking at the Bible without going to Israel was like trying to figure out baseball without having the visual of what a baseball diamond looked like and first base and home base and all that thing. And when we get to Israel and you get to see, it definitely does come alive. And walking where Jesus walked, it's incredible. You can feel the Holy Spirit work in every step of the way. Well, a few years ago, my wife bought me a framed print of Rembrandt's Christ in the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And I've always loved the colors and just the picture or the painting. And it depicts Jesus and the apostles on the boat and a storm has come up and they're being tossed back and forth in this little first century boat. Jesus is sitting cool, calm and collected and some of the apostles seem to be standing there in a panic and others are trying to right the ship and do what seamen do, you know, when things get crazy. And I remember I used to sit and look at that picture and think, why are you guys in a panic? Um, you know, you, you have WWJD right here with you. Um, but then fast forward to our Israel trip, and the day comes where we're supposed to take our tour of the Sea of Galilee. We went out on a wooden boat, and uh, it was a little rocky, but not enough to take Dramamine or anything. And, and it's a blue sky day, so on the inside I was kind of like, oh, bummer. You know, it's something on inside you just want to go, I wonder what it was like, but, you know, then <laughs> the smart side of me, I think, said, you like blue skies. At some point, somebody points over to the city of Tiberias, and above the city on the mountain where it's built, 
these dark storm clouds just appear out of nowhere. And so, you know, everybody gets, there's a matter of talking and people I think are saying, oh, you know, what would it be like if we ended up in a storm on the Sea of Galilee? Everybody knew when we, when we stepped on the boat to go, go across the Sea of Galilee, everybody knew there was something different that day. A storm had actually had, had come up. And I mean, we had three to, three to four foot swells were happening. And then as the wind picked up more, they became small swells, and then a little more, and the swells got bigger. And so here we are being tossed back and forth on this boat, this large boat. And it hit me that the apostles were just human like us. And the sense of urgency I was feeling in that moment when this large boat was just being swayed back and forth was probably a hundred times greater for them in this tiny little first century boat. And Jesus said to them, Why are you so afraid, O ye of little faith? And I have to wonder, what would my faith have been if I had been in their shoes? And I dare say, I would probably have doubted like they did. And the crazy thing happened that, that after we finished and prayed, all of a sudden the clouds started to part uh, the, the, seas, the sea grew calm and a rainbow appeared. We had, we had our group on the back of the boat just staring at that rainbow in silence. That whole situation was, was humbling, you know, to realize that we all have worries. And Jesus didn't say, don't worry. He just said, tomorrow I'll have enough worries of its own. And when those things come upon you, then it is just natural to worry. And so that was quite a humbling moment. There's lots of churches in Israel that were built as the rock of their corners, and the, a rock is the cornerstone. And when we were over there, it was really clear that it would be cool to bring a rock from Israel here to build and grow a church upon. You know, we have a piece of history and we have a piece of, of the Holy Land here with us. And I know when we were there, we were looking around at rocks and mud and things like that and thinking, well, we should probably take a little of Israel home with us. Having a rock here and realizing, you know, that it didn't come from the mountains of Colorado, but from the Sea of Galilee, uh, it just, um, every time that he sees it or anybody who's been there will say, it just will remind them of that time that they were able to spend there. Essentially to have a piece of the Bible, like in history, here with us is really special. Now maybe it'll inspire people to go have the same experience that we did. To me, a church is always growing, always building, regardless of the physical characteristics. And bringing a piece of the Holy Land and spreading it out, like I said, 7,000 miles away, is invaluable. What this stone's going to remind me of is that Jesus is our rock and our foundation. He's what we need to build our life or our house on so that during those times of tumultuous seas, we have him to keep us steady and calm. It's referenced in the Bible hundreds of times that God is our rock and being able to bring a piece of a rock that actually came from the waters of the Sea of Galilee, 7,000 miles all the way to Pueblo, Colorado, is 
really meaningful and hopefully it's powerful for others. And hopefully it will really connect the dots between the Bible and Pueblo, Colorado. Yeah, you can clap. You may not have recognized our land, but uh, where, the, where the rock land ended up, uh, the last scene, was, was at our future property. And the rock was placed where the worship service is planned to be in a pile of smaller rocks. And so for those of you that are around, when we, when we bought this, uh, we bought the property, we, we, prayer, we prayer walked the land. We not only prayer walked the land, but we had a pile of rocks where people would show up. They could write a scripture on a rock. They could write a name of a person on the rock that they wanted to see come to Christ, see come to our church, and that we would place them there and we would pray. We have already seen God answer some of those prayers. Some of the names that are on those rocks, they have already come to their, our church. They have already met Christ. And so when you look at this, you realize that the rock that, that, that was brought back from Israel came from the Sea of Galilee, from one of my favorite sites of the Sea of Galilee, is where in John 21, where, where Jesus restores, he restores Simon Peter, he restores the disciples. There's a little church built over a rock to where they believe that that's the rock that Jesus prayed on, and that's the rock that Jesus used to restore the disciples <coughs> back to ministry, which is our story. Now listen, I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you, we don't have a timeline for you. I'm not announcing a timeline, but I am with faith and confidence telling you that God is going to make a way, that this is not of man. This is not because you got a really smart pastor, you got a smart elders or smart leaders or anything like that, that I am telling you that this is a work of God. None of us, none of us could have, dis could have planned that God would make a way in a way that he is. So I don't have a timeline for you, but I can tell you this. We are, we are going to stay with our values. We have our values for you out there on the, the entryway and the way you exit. Scripture, worship, acceptance, and transformation. That we are continue going to believe our conviction about Scripture. That Scripture is absolutely perfect. That God's Word is absolutely perfect. And as a result of that, we can plant our lives on it. The world does not need a church that moves with the godless philosophies of the world, but the church needs, or the world needs a church that moves the world the same way the apostles moved the world. And that is with just the power of the gospel. Here's what the scripture says in Romans 1, 16, 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it is righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it's written. The righteous will live by faith, that there is a God that no matter how messed up you are, this God has made available to you the transforming power of the gospel. The reality of a new life is available to everyone who believes. It's this righteousness that you and I cannot create and, and develop <coughs> for... <coughs> create and develop for ourselves.